All right. I am here with Brother Randy Taylor, Jr., pastor of Crossroads Baptist Church in Gainesville, Texas. And we're going to talk about a very interesting subject today that you need to hear about. We're going to talk about the sour grapes of personal responsibility. That's a pretty slick title we came up with. <laughs> and so, yeah, <laughs> uh, Brother Taylor, uh, thank you for coming on. Tell everybody on this, uh, on this video who you are. Well, I pastor in Gainesville, Texas. Lord brought us here almost five years ago. This uh, February 15th will be our fifth anniversary. And uh, God's just uh, blessed us here with a good congregation of folks and faithful, hardworking people and, and uh, in the process of building a new building and expanding our church auditorium. And so starting off this new year and this new decade, we're pretty excited about what God's got in store for us. So, Amen. Amen. Well, you guys, I get emails all the time from people saying, hey, we live here and can you tell me, point me to a good church? And I just tell you, if you guys live north of Dallas and uh, anywhere north of Denton up there, uh, there is a great church in Gainesville, Texas, and this is the pastor here. I want you guys to know that. So, uh, so thankful for you guys getting to know Brother Taylor. And uh, Brother Taylor and I have been talking. He preached a message, and I got the transcript right here of uh, the notes of his message on personal responsibility. And this is something in today's society that I, I don't hear a lot of talk about this, and I think this is a bigger deal than people realize. And uh, Brother Taylor, you know, why don't you explain to us just basically the the whole meat of this sermon and just tell us, you know, why this matters and why is this in the Bible? What, what's the deal about this? Sure. So, you know, we live in a day and age where uh, there's a lot of confusion because uh, uh, people will come through church and they'll have bad habits in their life. And, you know, they grew up in a rough home, have a, a past of abuse, or they grew up in a home where a, a dad was a heavy drinker. And so in a lot of ways, society has told us that, you know, if my dad was an alcoholic, then I'm just uh, predestined to be one myself. Mm. And, or I'm just born this way, or it's a genetic issue, or it's a biological issue. And so we have excused away any type of personal responsibility. And, uh, and there's an interesting story in the Bible that deals with this. And you don't mind, I'll just read a few verses for you. So, so people understand what it is that we're talking about, about the, uh, the sour grapes aspect of it. But Ezekiel 18 uh, says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, what mean ye that use this proverb concerning the land of Israel saying, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, the children's teeth are set on edge. So Basically, what was going on is the children of Israel had been in captivity. They were there because of their sin. God trying to deal with them, punish them, get them right. But they start throwing out this proverb that's not scriptural. It was just something that they were using almost in a sarcastic way that, you know what? Our fathers have eaten sour grapes, and so the children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, we have to be this way because our fathers were this way. And this is why we have made the decisions that we've made. And so the Lord responds to that. And he said, as the Lord God, uh, as I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall have no occasion to use this proverb in Israel. Mm -hmm. He says, behold, all souls are mine as the soul of the father. So also the soul of the son of man, uh, the son is mine. And then he says this, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Wow. And so he goes on to explain to them, that you can't just blame everything upon your environment, upon uh, what your nation is doing, upon how you are raised at home, the past experiences that you've had. And he really puts that to rest mm -hmm. and even goes on in the passage to give us a, a contrast. Uh, he starts off by talking about a, a father who was a good man and, uh, you know, uh, has all of these great character qualities about himself. And, uh, you know, I mean, pretty much paints a stellar picture of this dad's character. Mm -hmm. But then we continue reading that he has a son. And around verse 10 or so, you see the second generation come on the scene who's been raised by a good, godly dad. 
and the, the son turns out to be a robber, uh, a shedder of blood. He's an adulterer. He oppresses the poor and the needy. He spoils by violence. He doesn't keep his word. He's an idolater. On and on and on it goes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the question is, boy, how could such a good dad produce such a wicked son? And sometimes as parents, we scratch our head and we think, you know, we know stories of, of, you know, I was born in a Christian home to a Christian mom and dad that raised me right, according to scripture. But I've also known pastors who raised their kids the same way I was raised. And some of those kids went off into the world and, you know, really uh, fell deep into sin, hurt their testimony. And so sometimes parents will hang their head and say, well, I tried my best to, to raise my kids right. They didn't turn out for God. Yeah. Well, here the Lord gives an example of a good dad who raises a wicked son. Mm. You know, but then you keep reading and you see where the wicked son has a son. So now you're dealing with three generations. Mm. Okay. So think about it for just a minute. Here's a son who has grown up in the house of a man who is a chronic murderer, adulterer, robber, abuser, thief. You know, according to the world, this kid doesn't stand a chance, right? Yeah. You know, but the Bible tells in verse number 14, the difference is this kid, he sees his father's sin. He sees what his dad does. Every time his dad committed murder, every time he saw his dad in the arms of another woman, every time he saw his dad, you know, given praise to an idol. He saw that and he said, I don't want to live that way. The Bible said he considers it in verse 14 and he decides to do none such like. Right. So here you have three generations. The grandfather's godly. The grand, the, the, the son of the second generation is wicked. But then the third generation you have, it's godly again. Sure. So how do you, you know, how do you, determine as a parent whose fault it is for the bad seed. And sometimes this is what we have to deal with as preachers because uh, we deal with really discouraged moms and dads who feel like they have to live with all kinds of enormous guilt. Yeah. And yet many kids grow up with no guilt at all because they just say, well, it's all because I wasn't raised right. Sure. Sure. You know. Well, you know, I think it's funny because um, you and I, uh, you know, I know your how you grew up, and I think you understand how I grew up. And you and I are total opposites. I mean, I, you know, I remember drunk people kicking in the front door and you know throwing up on the carpet. You know, whereas you're like total opposite. I mean, your dad was a preacher. You grew up in in uh, the, in the house of God. You were on the road seeing people saved. I mean, that was your life growing up. And, and, but, but you and I are both, you know, in church serving the Lord in, in, you know, in the ministry. And I could easily use my, uh, my raising in my childhood as an excuse of why I couldn't get right with the Lord and why God couldn't use me. That's just not true. Um, I'm responsible for me, for my life and you're responsible for your life. And, and we can't, you know, as Christians, you know, we now have the opportunity now to overcome what we were or what God saved right. us out of. And, that, and that's the whole issue right there. We want to be able to give people hope. Yes. You know, the gospel gives us hope. And, uh, and so we have got to, as, as preachers, uh, counselors, parents, we've got to get people to understand that, you know, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Yes. I, I've, I've dealt with people before and in, you know, any preacher that's, that's, uh, you know, listen to this interviews that, had the same experience where you'll sit down with a man or a woman and they'll say something like, you know, would you please explain to my spouse that, you know, I am the way I am because I've got this condition or this condition and, and there's just no way I can change. Mm. Well, no, I'm not going to tell them that because I believe a man's in Christ. He's a new creature and there's always hope, um, you know, for a changed life and, and you can break that cycle. We used to have this woman go to our church and man, she was like the most overbearing, obnoxious, just gossip, you know, and, and she, she was likable, but she, <laughs> we always, we, we were always had to tell her, look, put the brakes on yourself. Just calm down. You're in everybody's business. Just settle it down. And her response was, well, I'm Italian. This is just how I am. You know? <laughs> See, there you go. There you go. Right. And, uh, and, and we know, and, and, and I, you know, we know that you know, we get, we get some of that to a certain extent, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's obvious that, 
a kid that's grown up in a home like the home you're raising your kids in, mm-hmm. stable environment with a mom and dad that loves them, takes them to church. You know, it's obvious that somebody like that will have an advantage over somebody that is raised in a home where there's abuse and alcohol and drugs and all of those kind of things. Yeah. But what we want people to understand is just like you experienced, um, when you come to Christ, you know, there's hope. Yes. And, uh, you know, my mother-in-law, she's one of the godliest Christians that I know. And I'm, I'm just blessed with a good mother-in-law. And I got to be careful about telling mother-in-law jokes because they really don't <laughs> apply to her because she's been a good, a good one. Yeah. But, um, you know, she grew up in a home where her mother was married eight times. Wow. Um, by the time my wife came along, uh, even though her grandmother had been married eight times, my wife never knew her married. So here's my mother-in-law, you know, growing up in dozens of different schools, being moved around from house to house uh, with every new stepdad, new abuses, new problems, mm-hmm. you know. And yet when her and Joe, my father-in-law, got married, they decided, you know what, we don't want that for our kids. Yes. They got in church. They've been in, in, you know, members of their church probably over 40 years now. And, you know, and I thank God for the pastor's wife that our church has because there were two individuals that decided, you know what, we're going to break this cycle and raise our kids to serve, serve the Lord. Sure. Sure. And, 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 and we now, I mean, like, Lost people, yeah, they're probably bound to, you know, family cycles and and just stuff that they they have no power to break those chains. But when you get born again, you become a new creature and you're you're released from all that. And now now you are set at liberty. And the the Lord, uh, Paul told the, I believe the church of Galatia, stand fast in the liberty where Christ has made you free. You're free from the family cycle. You don't have to repeat that cycle again. If your daddy was a drunk and you're born again, that doesn't, you don't have to be a drunk. You're free. And now you can stand in this liberty where you can serve God and you can raise your kids for Jesus. And you can, I mean, you can make it. I don't have to be defeated because of what I was raised as. And I don't, I don't have to be a victim of my circumstances. And we see so much of this through the Bible. And one of the great examples in my mind is the life of Joseph. I mean, Joseph had every right to say, you know what, I'm sick of this. This is, I've been victimized. I have been done wrong. But Joseph overcame all of that because he stayed right with the Lord. And I just don't think heathen people have that option. Yeah, there's, that's definitely the, um, the case in, in so many lives and thank God for the support that people do have and people that, you know, good home life makes a difference. And, you know, we see it in church so much. Um, you know, so many of the kids that come to our church, uh, they'll ride in on our buses and many of them don't have a home where there's a dad. Mm -hmm. Uh, in some of some cases, there's not a home where there's a mom or a dad. And man, we just wonder, you know, what chance does this kid have? You know, when they come to Sunday school, sometimes church is the only place where uh, somebody tells them that they love them or that they feel like they're loved. You know, we had a bus kid give a testimony recently where, I mean, he just stood behind the pulpit and he wept and he said, I just, he said, I feel safe here. He says, I, I, I hate to go home, you know, because wow. this is the place where I feel loved. And so, you know, I didn't grow up in that environment. Um, of fear and abuse and hiding under my bed and, you know, scared of my dad. I didn't grow up with that environment, but, I, but I do realize whether you come from a good home or a bad home, personal responsibility falls to us mm. because, you know, you mentioned your upbringing. Um, here's mine. My, my great granddaddy, Henry Taylor was the first bus driver for, an evangelist named Joe Boyd. Hmm. Joe Boyd started a church in Mesquite, Texas called Open Door Baptist Church. My granddad, Alton Taylor, uh, became a bus driver, drove his church bus for 50 years. Uh, My dad surrendered to preach as a 17-year-old teenager, began to travel with Joe Boyd, and he's been in the ministry 40-plus years. Hmm. I've got several generations of men who have stood for the Lord and loved God. But here's the thing. 
I could go out tomorrow and fall into sin and break my parents' heart, destroy our family's name, but I cannot turn around and say, well, I did this because it's my dad's fault or it's my grandparents' fault or it's this problem or this problem. I can't do that. The personal responsibility, whether you're raised in a good home or whether you're raised in a bad home, it comes down to, to us. Sure. You know, we've got to, we've got to make the right decision for ourselves. And sometimes parents really can, can beat themselves up because we've really bought into a lot of the world's psychology about all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Well, and one thing I want to throw out there, brother Randy, and you, you tell me what you think, but you know, this, what we're talking about is not an easy concept. I mean, this is not easy to overcome your upbringing, but it is possible. And we want the folks to know that, that this is something you don't have to be bound by this. There is victory in Jesus. And uh, I mean, even, even in this secular world, there's examples of this. I mean, like for example, um, uh, the HUD director right now, former presidential candidate, Ben Carson. I mean, the man just, and from a secular standpoint has been a wild success in his life. Brain surgeon, got got so many degrees on the wall. The man could be a thermometer. And he grew up in like, if, if I remember correctly, inner city Detroit or something like that. And just, just I mean, poverty. Uh, but he was able to come out of that. And if he can do it from a secular standpoint, even more so God's people who have God as yes. their father and victory in Jesus and they're born again, they can overcome basically anything is what we're saying. Yes. Yes. And that's, you know, and, and that's why it's so important to get in church and be faithful and not only get the preaching of the word of God, mm-hmm. but get the strength that you need uh, from a daily uh, walk with God on your own. Yes. Because the, really the, the transforming power that we all need is in God's word. It, it, it is what begins to supernaturally shape and change our life more than anything. Yes. And uh, is, is that relationship with the Lord. And, and, you know, sometimes we do, we do come to Christ and, and there's a lot of baggage that we carry. You know, the Bible refers to some of these things as, as strongholds mm. in our life that we've got to learn how to, how to pull these strongholds down. Mm. And, uh, but, you know, we're told greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And God can give us that enablement. Sure, sure. Well, you know what I see, uh, you know, I look at the book of Revelation, the first three chapters, and the Lord addresses seven different churches. And to every one of him, he says to him that overcometh, to him, him that overcometh. And each one of those, you know, if you, it doesn't matter if you interpret it as like, literal churches existing at the same time or seven church ages. doesn't matter if you interpret it either way. It still says there's a way to overcome no matter what. And, uh, you know, I think about my life when I was 18 years old, I mean, I was out of my mind on my way to alcoholism and all this kind of stuff. I was hopelessly addicted to rock and roll music. Um, but I got into that Bible and I, I would just sit there and just at night, I wouldn't even watch TV. I just read this book and, and, and let this book get into my mind. And it's almost like I was, it started to transform me and to where the, you know, like the old, children's songs, the things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The power was gone. The pool was gone. And I spoke to a woman just the other day and she had, um, she had a terrible addiction to pain pills that she was dealing with. And, and I think that's probably one of the epidemics, the opioid epidemic today is really, I think it's underestimated greatly. Uh, but she said, you know, I got in church, started hearing preaching and, and man, the Lord really gave me victory over that. And I'm not saying that, you know, that the answer is, you know, if you have, if you're addicted to crack cocaine, just go sit a pew. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's more to it than just that. I'm not oversimplifying that issue, but I am saying that you don't have to be defeated in sin. You don't have to be defeated by your upbringing and you have a responsibility to overcome that. And it is possible with a walk with God. And you, and you could break those cycles in your family and, um, and, and point, you know, we, we've got to be careful because here's the here's um, the thing. Years ago, a fellow came along named Sigmund Freud and really changed the game as far as psychology goes. Mm-hmm. And he began to talk about ideas that people really hadn't thought about and changed a lot of people's worldviews. But what his 
his emphasis was, and even if you're not real familiar with the psychology, I guarantee you, you have either uh, heard some of this or on a daily basis have heard people use some of these terms, but, you know, basically he taught determinism Hmm. and, um, you know, there's a psychic determinism. I I have no choice but to be the way I am because of how I psychologically treated Hmm. racial determinism. I I have to be the way I am because the color of my skin Hmm. environmental determination. Well, you know, of course I'm the way I am because I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, grew up in the slums, you know, Mm-hmm. Genetic determinism. Well, I've got the genes of an alcoholic. I've got this disease, you know. Well, if alcoholism is a disease, it's the only disease in America that we bottle and sell on our store shelves, you oh, know. Boy. Well, I've got the genes of a homosexual. I was just born this way. I can't change it, can't do nothing about it. It's just the way I am. And my genetics force me to be the way that I am. I can't help myself, you know. Hmm. And so here's where we are today. And so uh, we feel like and you talk about the opioid crisis and all of these things. Uh, we've seen a major shift where people, uh, you know, it comes down to this. We, we are all, if we're all just materials and chemicals, all we have to do is alter the chemicals, right? That's the way these doctors think. Mm-hmm. So there, there's no soul that's in question. There's no conscience that's being challenged. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can just deal with everything through medicine. And so, man, we're passing out Adderall to our kids like it's candy and, mm-hmm. and all of these type of things. But here's the problem with determinism. How in the world can you ever take anybody to court and find anybody guilty of any crime that's ever committed? Because, well, they didn't have a choice. I had yeah. to grow up this way. Yeah. I have to be an abuser because I was abused. Yeah. I have to be an alcoholic because my dad was an alcoholic. So there's no choice. Right. But yeah. even though there is an aspect to that, yes, you can make some bad decisions as a dad that can have a effect on your kid's life later on down the road. On the opposite side of that, I mean, you can make some decisions for the Lord that may impact your family for generations in a positive way. Sure. But ultimately we've got to teach to our kids responsibility. Well, what you just said reminds me so much. Um, you see, I grew up in, in Metro Atlanta, public school system of Gwinnett County Public School. Gwinnett County was one of the two counties in the Metro Atlanta area that went to Hillary Clinton in, in this last election. So all of my teachers were left-wing liberals and I, I probably was heading that way in a hurry. Uh, but, you know, we were all taught that, you know, this kid, he's this, therefore, He's, he's a victim too. I don't care if he robbed the liquor store. He's a victim too of some societal injustice. Benjamin Franklin said, we all live in prisons with the doors wide open. You know, it's a victim <laughs> mentality like you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. And, and, and that's bled into the social justice mentality, which is, I think social justice is the end of the end of the road of logic of secular humanism, a worldview without God. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so I had to do that, you know, I mean, like the, uh, the Middle Easterners, you know, that are, they're all upset about what happened with them, you know, well, they attack this because, you know, they're victims of this and they have, you know, and so it really, what that is, that's a subtle way of removing the personal responsibility away from people. It's, it's the blame game. It goes yeah. all the way back to Genesis with Adam and Eve. Hmm. Um, you know, Adam, why'd you eat the fruit? Well, it, it's this woman you gave me. Yep. Yeah, the Lord looks at the woman and she says, "Well, it's the snake that did it," and and we have had that sinful nature in us in that blame game. Every politician does it. Every new administration blames a previous administration. Every new pastor that takes a church blames all the problems of church on the old pastor. Every kid that gets in trouble at school, it's you know, there's always an excuse for it. The church blames the parents. The parents blame the church. Both blame the school. Christian schools blame the influence of the world. Public schools blame society. Society blames the government. Government blames the culture. Culture blames the media. And the media blames the consumer. Yeah. And but then Trump missing in all of that. Bush and he blames Bill Clinton. Yeah. He blames yeah. <laughs> but missing in all of that is one key problem. Nobody blames the person that did wrong. Oh, boy. Yeah. And the wrongdoer gets off 
no consequences, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, that's, so that's, that's where person, personal responsibility comes in. And, uh, and that's something we got to teach to our, to our children. I, you know, I, I know we've seen such a, a time when there's a lot of hatred towards law enforcement and things like that. And, and I remember as a kid, my dad telling me, he said, son, if you ever do something, you, you smart off to a police officer, uh, you do something that, uh, you know, where, where it makes that police officer have to pull out that stick that he carries on his belt and, and <laughs> take you to the ground. He said, then you deserved it. Yeah. You know, and I grew up with that understanding. I'm not saying that there aren't some, uh, some bad people that are, that are out there. Cause we know that there are other people that take advantage of authority. Yeah. But still we've got to decide to teach our kids. Yes. There are consequences for decisions. Mm -hmm. There's consequences for debt. There's consequences for our attitude. There's consequences for the choices that we make. Mm -hmm. And, um, but that being said, we can't just get stuck in a cycle of there's no hope for me mm. because there is, there is hope. I, I don't mean me and you, uh, brother Spencer, we've had the conversation before about uh, the great preacher, Jonathan Edwards. Yes. Yes. And somebody did a, uh, a study on his life after about 150 years after he had died. Uh, for those of you that are listening, Jonathan Edwards was the, the great, Puritan preacher that preached the message sinners in the hands of the angry God. There was such revival and, yeah. and so many people that were saved and such conviction. But what we don't focus on a lot of times is, is the home life of those mm -hmm. preachers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, his kids would later on talk about how, you know, every night before they'd go to sleep, how Mr. Edwards, even though he's the president of Princeton college, and even though he's this busy man, how every night he'd spend an hour, in conversation with his family, he'd pray over them and he'd bless each kid. But here's what happens is he goes on to raise kids that have a godly legacy to look up to. They've got 11 children mm -hmm. and 150 years later, a guy comes along, his name is EA Winstrip and he traces Edward's descendants. And this is what he finds 150 years later, this is Jonathan Edwards descendants because of the path he put his family on mm. one Dean of law school, one Dean of a medical school, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 preachers, 250, uh, 285 college graduates, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, and one U.S. vice president. Wow. That's 1,400 descendants still making a difference in the world 150 years after, after they're dead and gone, you know? So, you know, the same can be said about when I'll just use myself as an example. If I got out of church tomorrow and I decided to, to uh, be a heavy drinker and, and drugs and I became very immoral, you know, there is a chance I'll put my kids, I'll introduce them to some wicked stuff that could impact them and their kids and their kids after them and their kids after them. Mm -hmm. But my hope and prayer just like it's been in our family where I can look back to a great grandpa and a granddad and a dad and now me and God willing, if I keep trying to invest in the lives of my children, maybe their generation goes on to serve the Lord and then raises their kids to serve the Lord. That's my hope and prayer. Yeah. But at the root of all of this, the very basic level, we got to all realize it's all a choice that we have to make. And God is big enough to, to break the chains, the chains of addiction. He can pull down strongholds. He can get us past habits and he can give us the grace to live a successful Christian life. You know, I, I love that. That, that just, that gives me hope. And, you know, I was at my, my dad's mom, my grandmother, I was at her funeral and, um, 
and some woman came up to me. I, I don't even know who she was, but uh, my whole family, both sides are from South Georgia. They were all Methodist. And this, this older lady came to me and goes, are you that Smith boy that's a preacher now? And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, uh, she said, that's so good because we, we really have been worried about the Smiths for a long time. And, and uh, I'm, I'm a Christian and I pray and I've just been praying for the Smith family for a very long time. And it's so good to see that God's turned that around. And I thought, awesome. you? <laughs> I don't even it's just, know. It's all the grace of God. I mean, yeah, you know, none of us can take credit for it. I've got six kids. The jury's still out on whether any one of them will turn out to serve the Lord. I don't, I can't say that for certain, but if they do, it's the grace of God. Yeah. But if they don't, just like me, they will have to stand before God someday and give an account for the decisions that they made in the life that they chose. Yes. And, um, and that's the personal responsibility part of it. You know, so the Lord told him, he says, you know, uh, no longer am I going to allow you to use this proverb anymore about the sour grapes. He says, all souls are mine in verse four as the soul of the father. So also the soul of the son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Mm. And he makes it clear responsibilities on us. Right to reap right, sow right, and he'll bless us if we, uh, if we do. Sure. Well, now you brought up Freud, how he taught determinism and just, you know, I guess, I guess what that means is just willpower and, uh, or, or not, not willpower, excuse me, the opposite of that. Like you are, you're just nothing you can do. You will be a product of all that, whatever you are, your you're race, your culture. Cost, you can't you know. change. You, you have no control over it. Okay. So what, what is, uh, what, determinism versus victory in Jesus. What would you say the big difference is? Well, the, the big difference is there, there is a, there is an aspect of determinism that uh, you might could point to as being the fact that we are born with a sinful nature, mm -hmm. but uh, God has given us the ability uh, to choose mm -hmm. and he can do a work in our heart where he convicts us mm -hmm. and through salvation, we believe that God can, he can do things that, and we never dream possible. And I, I look out in our church crowd every Sunday and I'm looking at faces of people who, I mean, by the world standards and by, you know, the, the standards that, that a lot of psychologists talk about and they shouldn't even be in church you know, and here they are, they're, they're married, they're raising kids, they're, you know, they're good citizens, they're holding down a good job. And yet the abuse in their life would make you weep. Mm. You know, the, uh, some of them have, have served time in jail and, and all of these kind of things. And the world says to these people, you don't have a chance. You got to go through life on crippled legs. And Jesus comes along and says, no, wait a minute. If any man that be in Christ, he's a new creature. Yeah. Yeah. You know, old things get passed away, all things are new. But the key to that is this, it's that new creature part. Mm. Okay. Whenever I was born into this world, I was born as a sinner. I, I was born as a sinner who, yes, I inherited my sinful nature from my dad and he inherited his sinful nature from his dad. And so to live a victorious Christian life, it starts with salvation. Yes. Because when I got saved, I got regened. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I got regenerated. And so if I died the way I was born with sinful blood, then I would have had to die and go to a, to a devil's hell. Mm -hmm. but the day that I got saved, God regened me as his child. Yeah. And that gives me hope. Sure. That, uh, that I, yes, I'm that new creature in Christ. I may not be perfect from the very moment of salvation, but there's hope that I can be. One of my favorite verses, I love to preach about it. The Bible says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wow. Yeah. So am I everything that I should be as a Christian right now in my life? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. When I got saved. I got the hope. 
Yes. There's hope that I can be what God created me for, you know? And, uh, you know, when the fire trucks roll up to a burning house and the place is in flames, is the fire out just because the fireman showed up? No, mm -hmm. but there's hope that the fire can be out now because yeah. the fire, the fireman's there, you know? And that's the way it is when we get saved. Lord Jesus Christ comes in our heart and we have that hope of glory, that hope of being what God created us to be. Amen. Amen. You know, this, this really is a meaningful subject to me because, you know, Brother Randy, I got saved. I was 18. I was out of my mind, never been in church my whole life. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I've told this story at your church, but one of the first services I ever went to where I actually had a Bible in my hand, the guy said, take your Bible to 1 John chapter 5. And I didn't even know there was a book called 1 John. So I went to the gospel of John chapter 5. And uh, that what that guy was reading was not what I was reading. And then God called me to preach, and I thought, there's no way. And I, I, I sat there in the front pew of that church and wept. It was April 19th, 2002 at Peachtree Road Baptist Church, uh, 142 Old, Swanee, Old Peachtree Road in Swanee, Georgia. And it was at the, the 7 o'clock Sunday night service, and I was sitting on the very uh, middle section on the front row on the left. And my pastor preached at Jonah, Jonah chapter 2, I believe, going, going to Nineveh and preaching on them, the preaching that I bid unto thee. And God called me to preach that night. And I said, I, I begged God. I said, I can't do it. I can't do it because of what I was before I got saved and how that my daddy's not a preacher and I have no preaching lineage in my family. I don't have a, a spiritual pedigree. I'm the only one here. I, I can't do it, God. And I wept. And I wept and I, I finally went to said, okay, God, I'll do your will. It's going to be a train wreck, but I'm going to try to preach. And some people say, still say it is a train wreck. And then uh, <laughs> I, I went to Bible college and you want to talk about, I mean, intimidation. I mean, I, I, I walked into the room and so-and-so's there. And it, I mean, that's Curtis Hudson's grandson that I sat there yeah. with. And I thought, I'm on the bunk above Curtis Hudson's grandson. I mean, this was like royalty to me. And I, I mean, the, my, the, I went a whole semester and I survived just trying to get the lay of the land. The second semester I was there for two weeks and I begged God to send me home. And I said, I can't do this. I cannot do this. I can't I, Lord. I walk around here struggling with Lincoln Park lyrics in my head, and this is Bible college. And I, I mean, I, I still, I mean, Lord, I'm struggling with, with, uh, you know, my my rock and roll I, I don't have any in my car I've gotten away from it I, but but it's just, it's just in my mind and and you know I, I'm not crude and nasty or nothing but I just don't have any way to relate to these people and right. and God told me said Spencer no I I've, I've cleansed that I have changed that you are a new creature now and 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 God gave me something out of first Samuel I believe chapter 10 uh, where uh, Samuel's dealing with the nation of Israel said yes you have done wickedly but serve ye the Lord and 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 uh, and so I said, you know what? I'm just going to give God everything I have. And just if, if I don't become anything, if God never uses me, I'm just glad that, that I'm on the team. And God's let me do some incredible things, Brother Randy. God's let, and I don't say this to be arrogant, but I believe God has let me do some things that he didn't let those people do. And I don't know why, but I think God just proved something to me that I can overcome my 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 upbringing. I can't overcome my past. I can overcome this. If I'll just stay right with God, there's victory in Jesus in that. And let me see. There's a verse here. First Corinthians 15 verse 57 says, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I, you know what? I'm not some drunk teenager anymore. I'm a preacher. God's changed me. And it's because I made some good choices and as I followed God, God helped me to overcome some of my past. And this is a, this is a great message. This is a fantastic Bible truth, Brother Randy. Yes. Well, you know, the, the greatest evidence in the world for the gospel has changed lives. Mm -hmm. you, know, you can't argue with a life that's changed. Uh, people can debate what they want about Scripture, and, you know, you know, they can say what they want. You know, you'll have people come up and say, well, the Bible's got all those errors in it. And I'll say, well, show me some, you know, they never seem to be able to, to know what they are, but there's all kinds of excuses for why people won't believe in God and the gospel and religion and all of that. But I'm telling you, the one thing they can't, they cannot deny is a changed life and a changed family. You know, the pastor I grew up with, Preston Judd, who pastors in Michigan now, you know, he grew up in a home where, um, you know, not one Judd man had ever even graduated high school. Mm. You know, as 
far back as they could remember. And they grew up traveling with the carnivals. You know, he's a carny. And <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Now that you say that. <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, if you know for the judge. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, one day church bus came by and brought him to church. Uh -huh. um, little did he know at the time that his, his bus driver would be his future mother-in-law. You know, marries a good girl, he gets saved, and not only graduates high school, but graduates Bible college and becomes my pastor, you know, hmm. uh, raises a family of his own. Wow. It just goes to show you that, yes, we can, use, we can use those excuses if we want to. Yeah. I've been diagnosed with such and such. I've got this disability. Well, there's a lot of people in our church that have disabilities and they still love the Lord and they, you know, mm -hmm. want to do right and they're not bitter and they have the joy of the Lord. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I, you know, I've got dyslexia, I've got ADD and I'm sorry that you've got uh, a disability, but we're so quick to label people with disabilities that we, we take away their hope of ever being an overcomer. Yes. A preacher yeah. friend of mine, I'll not mention his name, but he's got severe dyslexia and he says, you know, it takes me three times as long to write a message as it would for anybody else. Mm. I read everything backwards. I write it backwards. I have to go and take my time. He says, I have to practice what I'm going to read at church because I don't read right. Mm -hmm. You know, but here he is, man. He's, you know, he's successfully pastored and, and you'd never know it hearing him preach, but you know, he's got that in his mind. You know, yes, I've got this issue, but I'm going to overcome, you know, yes. right. and, and God gives us the grace to do that. And that's, that is why, that's why I say that we can give God glory. Yes. Because looking back on it, you know, you think, how, how is any of this possible? You know, how have I been able to overcome? How have we been able to get through what we got through? Mm. Well, it's the grace of God, you know, sure. it's, Power that got us through it. Absolutely, and, you know, and just and just for those who had watched this, you know, me and Brother Randy, we would never minimize your pain or minimize your hindrances. I mean, that, you know, that, that we're not saying that that's not real and that's not hurtful. Um, you know, it's it's. I mean, it's very common now, Brother Randy. You hear women. There's, you know, I was abused as as at this age, and that seems to be. I hear that too much. That it's just it's it's horrible. And the statistics uh, on it are staggering. It's yeah. absolutely unbelievable, the statistics of children. Well, yeah. 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 And yeah, we're not going to minimize that. And I'm not going to say that that's not hurtful. And I'm not going to say that that's not, that's not something that, that causes trouble emotionally. And we're, we're not saying any of that, okay? But what we are saying is that God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. Right. Right. God can. And I mean, you look there, uh, brother Taylor, maybe you can tell me it's in first Corinthians where God speaks about the things that he uses. He uses the simple things to confound the mighty, uh, the, the wise. Um, there's a qualification about not many mighty and see God does big things with little broken people. And he does. And despite all that, God can still use us and God can still do great things with us. And that's the hope we're trying to portray to people today. Because it, it, again, it brings God all the glory. You know, mm -hmm. we, have, we have nothing to boast of. We can't boast about our salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is the grace of God. Yeah. But we also can't boast about our accomplishments or what we've done, because even that's the grace of God. Yes. You know, you look at the nation of Israel all throughout its history, and yes, you can point to great battles and great accomplishments and, and well-known kings. But God didn't choose Israel because they were mighty. He chose them because they were not, they were nothing true. They were weak and, and the Lord raised them up and he says, I'm going to show the world what I can do with a group of called out people. And you know, it's the same exact thing that he's done with the new Testament church. How has the church rolled on for 2000 years and continues to change the world? Well, the only thing you can accredit it to is it's God, man. It's all the glory of God. Yeah, and I'm, so I'm getting happy bubbles is talking about. Yeah. It. Yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, I, I, one of the funniest stories to me in the Bible is, is, is Gideon, you know, where uh, here's, you know, every, every few times a year, the Gideon, the, the, the Midianites would come through and like locusts and eat everything up and everybody knew they needed to stand up to him, but nobody had the courage to do it. 
And so God's going to raise up Gideon and Gideon, where is he when God finds him? He's hiding behind the wine press, you know? Yeah. And God speaks to him and he says, you know, behold thou mighty man of valor. And, and I'm sure Gideon's thinking, are you talking to me? He said, I'm the, I'm the least. He said, I come from a poor family and I'm the least in my father's house. I'm the lowest man on the totem pole. Yeah. But God used him and then used his little humble army of 300 people who didn't even have weapons to fight with yeah. just pictures and, you know, a torch in their hand. And yeah. God uses them to defeat the Midianite army. Why? Because nobody could say we did this in our own strength, our own wisdom, our own power, our strategies. It gives God the glory. Amen. And the same is true in our Christian life. Any good parent, God forbid, can raise a child that turns out wrong. Any wicked parent, you know, there's some kids in our church, man, they've grown up to serve the Lord. And I think that they're going to just keep on going. You know, they've taken a stand through high school and, and got through some difficult times in their life. Think about one young man in our church is, you know, he, he doesn't know where his dad is. His mom's in jail. Uh, she's a lesbian. The last time she was arrested, she swallowed all the drugs she had in her possession and nearly died to try to hide it from the police. And yet he's still serving the Lord and wants to come. Man. You got some good parents that may turn out a kid that doesn't do right. Yeah. You got some really bad parents that that kid gets saved and starts serving the Lord and a bad parent raises a good kid. You know, we, sometimes we scratch our head and wait, what? Yeah. It all comes down to personal choice, mm -hmm. personal responsibility. Right. I'm right. going to turn my life over to the Lord. I'm going to immerse myself in his word, try to find out what God's will for my life is and, and, and stick to it as closely as I can. Yeah. And God blesses it honors it when we put them first. Well, and you'll find that when you do that, you let God have your life. You give him control. You'll find that things are now possible that weren't possible before, right. like overcoming what you think you are. Right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, uh, Ezekiel 18 verse two, the uh, proverb was the fathers have eaten. Our, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. And uh, that's where a lot of people are saying today. And God says, that's not so. Yeah. And each man is responsible for his own self before God, because God gives the ability to overcome things. And uh, you don't, you don't have to be a victim when you're a Christian. You don't have to be a victim. Yeah. And so if there's a parent that's listening to this and, and you've been discouraged, you know, you've hung your head and you thought, well, you know, I, I read my Bible and it said, train up a child in the way he should go when he's old enough not depart from it. And you tried to raise your kid to serve the Lord and then they've broken your heart and you lay in bed at night and you, and you wonder where did I go wrong or did God let me down? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I just want to give you a little bit of hope here. And, and, and parents, if you're still got children at home, uh, let's work hard to bring those children up in the knowledge that they're responsible for their actions, but teach them that they belong to God and that God will bless them when they obey and honor him. But God will also judge us when we disobey him. Mm. Now, if there's a teenager that's listening and you got a, a personal decision to make to accept responsibility, don't blame your parents for that time that you stole or cheated or lied. Take that responsibility upon yourself. And, uh, and, and by the way, uh, sometimes we, we, we blame people for all the wrong in our life, but, but rare is it whenever we're successful that we turn around and give credit to people that invested into our life, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but personal responsibility. Absolutely. Well, it's a wonderful discussion, brother Taylor. And I think we'll, uh, we'll segue out here on that, but, uh, man, this is a tremendous message and I, I do, I mean, I just appreciate this so much. Um, brother Taylor, you, you're, you're actually one of my favorite preachers to hear and we appreciate you guys so much. And you guys have a podcast. Is that right? We do through our church and you can just, uh, if you have the podcast app on your phone, you can just search Crossroads Baptist Church or probably even my name, Randy Taylor. Mm -hmm. uh, and it might bring you to the podcast. Yeah. Uh, or 
if you if you uh, don't have the ability to do that on your phone, you can just go to our website, which is crossroadsgainesville.com. Right. And, uh, and, and a lot of folks ask me all the time, say, well, you know, well, Spencer, this guy's bad. This guy's bad. This guy's bad. You know, and I, I spend a lot of time saying who's bad on my channel because there's a lot of them. Trust me. I mean, we, there's no there is no shortage of heretics out there today. People ask me, say, well, who do you listen to? Well, ladies and gentlemen, here you go. Here's one. And uh, this guy is a great preacher and uh, man been raised around preachers his whole life. And and, uh, you know, every time I go to his church, he preaches on Sunday morning. Uh, well, he has the past few times I've been there. And, man, I just think, yeah, praise God, let's hear a good one, you know. And my wife appreciates it because she travels with me and she gets to hear a good sermon every now and then, you know. <laughs> well, if you think my preaching's any good, you must not listen to very much. But I sure enjoy it. I'm thankful that I get the chance, the opportunity. And our church always gets a blessing out of, out of uh, Brother Spencer and his family being here. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, tell us the website again. And then, uh, also, uh, uh, you're on Twitter, right? Yeah. Um, I don't even know what my Twitter handle is, but, uh, I think it's Randy Taylor 82, something like that. Okay. Anyway, like that. <laughs> but our church web, uh, our church website's Crossroads Gainesville. And, uh, if you're ever in the area traveling through North Texas or coming South down uh, 35 from Oklahoma, uh, we're just across the Red River and uh, six miles from the Oklahoma line. And we'd love to have you stop through if you're on vacation passing through. Absolutely. Well, amen. Well, Brother Taylor, we're going to end it there. Appreciate you guys that are watching these YouTube videos. We're going to try to do a lot more good interviews with guys like this, uh, Brother Taylor and others. We uh, we just posted one today of Brother Dwight Smith and a really good video there with him. He's, he's a wealth of information. I appreciate him so much. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're going to be trying to do a lot more of these uh, as time goes on. And, uh, and so, Brother Taylor, why don't you just leave us with a word of wisdom, something about anything you want to, uh, just to end this video, and then we'll sign off here. Well, our, our theme for this year at church is uh, Psalm 34. It says, Oh, magnify the Lord. Let us exalt his name together. And uh, in, anything that I could leave with you would be in this new year, Let's just magnify God. Uh, there's two ways to magnify something. You can either use a microscope or a telescope. A microscope makes something small look bigger than it is. A telescope takes something that's really big and makes it look as big as it really is. Mm. And we can either magnify our problems or through God's word and through prayer, we can make God look as big as he is because we really serve an awesome God. And uh, so I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the ministry of Brother uh, Spencer. And uh, it's a ministry worth supporting. What they do in Kenya is absolutely mind-blowing. And uh, so uh, pray about supporting him, supporting his family, supporting IBOM. And uh, it, it, it's a fruitful ministry. It's really one of a kind. Amen. Amen. Appreciate that so very much. So, all right. Well, we're going to hit the stop button here, but uh, you guys have a good night. Subscribe to our channel and we'll talk to you guys soon.